a little bit uh, about this initiative. Welcome to the Values Workshop. This is an initiative I started around uh, two or three months prior to COVID. I happen to think that I have been blessed with a very good mind and uh, I needed to put it in service of humanity in some manner. And uh, like all others, I have been working for a living. I have been a writer, uh, an advertising writer for a long time. And I was taking care of my uh, family and doing a bit of social work on and off. But I felt this intense longing to do something uh, that justified my sense of uh, giving, the, the feeling that I needed to do something. And I have a teenage daughter and I used to have a lot of conversations with her regarding values. So if I claimed that uh, this is how things should be done, then I had to do them and live up to it. So those kind of conversations were quite interesting. And uh, while talking to a friend of mine, we kind of stumbled upon the idea that this was a good thing to talk about values. Uh, I do not know about the rest of the world, but in India, uh, one has seen that a lot of emphasis is laid on being successful uh, on students. So you're only told about what are the things that will make you successful and how to go about it and what line or what career you should choose. And I felt there was something missing there. And uh, that was one of the things that I struggled with all my life, seeing people who were um, go get it at any cost, succeeding and you trying to think how to go about it, where you would succeed at the same time, manage who you were as essentially as a human being. So I thought it was a good struggle to put out there mm -hmm. and be vulnerable about it as much as possible. So I managed to find a friend who started this podcast with me. She lives in the UK. And uh, the initial few episodes, we both spoke about a lot of things and uh, those things were planned. So then one fine day, uh, the same friend said, why are you planning so much? Why don't you go impromptu? Mm -hmm. and uh, we decided to go impromptu we were having fun and uh, we decided let's uh, challenge ourselves luckily that worked and uh, we did quite a few episodes after that uh, for a while we, our times weren't matching because of different time zones uh, I started talking to other friends who were open to coming on camera and discussing their vulnerabilities the initial topics were why why be kind or uh, why does fear exist? Those kinds of topics. Later, I started some series uh, of which one was The Vulnerable Me. Uh, another one was Dearly Yours, where I tried to get different relationships to come on that, that hasn't succeeded because of times. Mm -hmm. Getting one person every week is hard enough. Getting two people is almost impossible. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. And... Uh, now this series has been called the other side of. Uh, so I realized we spend, as professionals, we spend a lot of time at work and uh, some of our best learnings come from workspace in terms of discipline, in terms of values. Mm -hmm. So it was a good space to talk about what happens in the workspace. But I do not mind myself. These are what I like to call coffee shop conversations. We can ramble, meander, 
it's okay to go off off track but the idea is to is to be open about whatever comes up mm-hmm. i don't plan things um, much um, more so in this space um, this is the introduction for you now let me uh, introduce you to my audience uh, i have with me a relatively new friend i think we are becoming friends on the show as as it begins uh, he is john britton and what i have learned about him is from facebook that he is a coach and uh, he works in the space of theater so could you tell us a little more about yourself yeah it's funny isn't it how it's interesting for me to hear that you know of me only through facebook and you say i'm a coach who works in theater and i think both those things are true but of course they say very little in some ways um i work as a coach these days i work as a, a coach and a mentor uh, a writer a thinker a consultant a researcher all of this stuff my background is in theater 30 years of being a performer, being a trainer of performers, writing about performance, directing shows. And all of my work now, I do. I still do a little bit of training performers, but not very much. All of my work now has evolved from the work I used to do as an artist. So although I now work primarily not as an artist, the work that I do is the work of an artist. And it's underpinned by a fundamental belief, which is that artists, or specifically in my case, performers, know stuff. We know really important stuff. We know how to be authentic while playing a role. We know how to connect with each other. We know how to respond to the unexpected. We know how to do the same thing repeatedly, but make it fresh every time. We know how to communicate. We know how to move out of one role and move into another role. We know how to use our creativity. We know how to be curious. We know how to bring the truths of the past into the present and make them the truth of the present. We know how to imagine the world differently. We know how to communicate and connect across cultures, respectfully allowing elements of different cultures to coexist in the same space. Artists know stuff. And the ancient role of the artist has always been, we've always been there to entertain, to tell stories and all of that stuff. But we've also always had an, a, another role, which is to imagine differently, to tell the stories of the communities we're part of, to challenge accepted behaviours and accepted ways of doing things. The role of the artist, right back, almost certainly connects to the role of the priest, the role of the the shaman, the role of the, the spirit visionary. And in a world which is increasingly in crisis, politically, economically, 
ecologically, in terms of individual men mental health and so on. I don't think there's ever been a more important time to stand up and say, artists know things. Not artists are more important than doctors or more important than teachers. It's nothing to do with that. No. It's saying artists know stuff. And if we want to really grow as people and as communities and as a world, we need to start behaving more like artists. So although I'm now a coach and I'm you know, a mentor and a consultant and I'm all of those things, my work is fundamentally derived from what is it that artists know? Wow. Uh, I was tempted to make you the president of the UN because we need people out there who are co-creating, if I were to use a term that is being used often these days. It's a good word, isn't it, co-creating? Because yeah. everything we make is made through relationship. One of the things that we, we have to understand is that the age of the obsessive individual is dead. It has to be dead. The age of obsessive individualism has led us to the point where a few people have more money than they can ever spend and the majority are starving. It's the age where somebody who's rich can go and cut down virgin forests and destroy endless species and claim that it's good for business, while the, the indigenous peoples who live in those forests have genocide committed against them. The, the age of individualism has to be seen as, as run its course. We have to redefine what it is to be an individual. Yeah, it's so it's so beautiful. But I want to start uh, going into depth about you particularly. So you you mentioned this humongously huge responsibility of an artist, if I were to call it. If one were to see it piece by piece, one would be overwhelmed. Mm. But because this is oneness at work, uh, my question comes from there. Where is the pause you draw your energy from? It must be the only place it can be. It's from the connection of my experience with my world now. The, the, you can't, I can't anyway, derive my energy from an idea my energy comes from action from what am i doing now that action might be sitting still and looking out of the window i live in a very quiet place these days my energy comes from sitting in my garden and watching the birds feed my energy comes from a communication that energy then feeds others in the same way as I am fed by others. It might be others like we have a conversation and then if somebody listens to this conversation, it feeds them. They might talk to somebody else about what they heard on this conversation, it feeds them. And so there is a trickling out, but it all starts from the connection of myself with my world in this moment. It's not conceptual, it's lived. Uh, how do you differentiate it from an egocentric view of yourself with your work? Because this 
these very words are these days used to define a completely different mindset yeah where people are out to get what they want at any cost how do you how do you differentiate that well it's interesting in, in terms of the the work that you're doing here my energy comes from being present and i've written a lot about presence and all of those things there is a difference between being present and being focused on what you want because what you want by definition is not present it's conceptual it's future focused now i haven't people sometimes say you have to get rid of the ego i, I don't agree the ego is great it's very useful it, it you know helps get us out of bed in the morning it drives us to to work harder for our families and all of those things the ego is great but the ego is not a good master because the ego is constantly aiming towards that which it doesn't have so the difference in what i'm saying is my energy comes from connection with what is with reality and then the ego goes yeah i could this and i could that and then i can go yeah well we could we could try that or how does that align to our values or what would be the effect of that or you know if i worked really hard for 20 years and became really rich would i be happy probably not really i just wasted 20 years maybe i don't know so it becomes this constant conversation in which the ego has a voice but the ego does not have the dominant voice just as you know there's a lot of talk about you know the world is dominated by people like me middle-aged white men who constantly shout down everybody else i think that's true but it doesn't mean that middle-aged white men should shut up it just means that we should learn to listen better and allow our voice to be part of the conversation, not the conversation. I think the same about the ego. Don't shut it up. Let it be part of the conversation, but not the dominant nor necessarily the final voice in a conversation. There is this beautiful sense of compassion you seem to have, and there is no conflict in the ego versus being present in the way you're speaking. I find that very unique because most of the time it is the black and white uh, that is chosen between when we are trying to defend a point of view. So, yes, I think that is absolutely right. And you define it really beautifully because what I'm saying is that there is, that the binaries, black and white, right and wrong, defend and attack, binaries, that binary way of thinking is the problem. There is no right way. There is no wrong way. There are better ways and worse ways, but they are a spectrum. And we choose where to put ourselves on the spectrum. And if we find ourselves in the wrong place on the spectrum, we change our place on the spectrum. If you say something which I encounter or experience as an attack, I don't have to go, you attack, I defend. I can say this part I will refute or deny or argue against. This bit I'll let go. You can think that. I don't care. Yeah. So it's about trying to move away from 
I versus the world into I in the world. Everything is a spectrum. We've only just met, but we are connected. We're not closely connected. I'm much more connected with my partner than I am with you. But if we talked every day for the, or, you know, every week for the next couple of years, that connection would grow. We are changed by each other. I would be changed by you. So the, the nature of binaries, even if you and I had huge arguments about life, politics, and, and spirituality, if we had massive arguments, that doesn't have to be you on one side and me on the other. It's an argument where we circle around each other and we learn from each other and we discover. So you define it very beautifully that it's a movement away from the notion of me versus you, this versus that, good versus bad. I think it's beautiful again, because you said one, your approach itself to me seems like, okay, we can build on each other's knowledge when we are conversing. We are, even if we are having the worst kind of debates, mm. where, we are, where we are at the opposite ends of the spectrum completely, we could still take away something good which changes us subtly and build a view which is more holistic. Totally. I, and I'm often reminded when I think of this, of the conversation in India back in 1945, whatever, between, who was it, between Gandhi and the, the writer whose name I've forgotten, the, the Gandhi working, who wanted to have it, who had a spiritual stroke religious dimension and this other writer who's very famous writer who I've name I've forgotten Ambedkar yeah I think yes I think so who was saying that, that there is no space for the spiritual dimension within politics he wanted a more rational approach and they if I remember this conversation right it's a long time since I read about it they profoundly disagreed and did so in a place of profound mutual respect which enabled both to learn and grow. Now that's and that's something we've forgotten how to do. To yep. disagree and to grow. Uh, another thing that I want to ask you is, um, again, it is an egocentric view of the question, but I want to bring this up. Since you keep talking about that now you speak through experience and not, not through, quote unquote, my words, bookish learning. Mm -hmm. how do you how do you demarcate the the ego in you from the present moment in your head is there a is there some training that you've given yourself is there a way of uh, changing your outlook that happened over a period of time because in today's world expressing yourself we have we have insane number of individual goals that are being set up. Uh, last I heard, there were 72 kinds of sexes <laughs> and all kinds of things happening in the world that is mind-boggling for a lot of us are conservative. Now that we have crossed our 40s, 50s, 60s, we've lived in a certain way and it is it boggles the mind. We've moved from no telephone to telephone to at our homes to, mm -hmm. to a phone in every hand and 
information available so easy that we can make a point of view about everything and yet is expressing oneself all that is important or does it need to be seen in a context also because you've been a performer i want to understand how do you see this communication or self expression well i i i suppose i i don't think anyone should be remotely interested in my opinions <laughs> why should anyone care what i think you know who the hell made me god you know well i think that the ego is the one that goes if i have an opinion i have to insist that everybody hears it i mean who cares who cares what i think about stuff if you choose to ask me what i think about stuff and if I think that in communicating my opinion, we can have a conversation rather than just start some kind of argument, then that's great. I've got opinions about all sorts of things. But I don't think I'm important enough that my opinion should make the slightest different to, difference to anyone else. Now, sometimes I will see something unfolding and I will say, look, I want to, I've seen this sort of thing before and I want to give you my opinion, because as we get older, I mean, I'm, I'm not quite 60, but I'm getting towards 60. I'm aware that I am getting older. As we get older, we become wise. In some ways, we have less knowledge because the world is changing so quickly we can't keep up. But we also come to realize that knowledge is not the same as understanding and understanding is not the same as wisdom. So I don't try to keep up with information. I'm increasingly trying to achieve understanding and maybe one day wisdom. Now, my opinion about the latest piece of information is completely irrelevant because generally I don't know what the latest piece of information is. I don't watch TV. I don't know who the latest influencer is. I don't care. I don't blame other people for liking that. That's super cool. Love what you like. But I don't care. And so why should anyone care about my opinion? I also think, though, I find it extremely useful to remind myself not to believe my own opinions. Because my opinion, if you say something and I have an immediate you know, an reaction and opinion, that reaction, just in terms of how the brain works, that reaction comes from experiences I've had in the past. I've heard somebody say something like that, so it makes me think that now. That means I'm not reacting to you. I am reacting to my past. So my opinion is not actually about what is happening here. My opinion tells me something about my past. So when I have an opinion, somebody says something and I go, oh, I've got an opinion about that. My first reaction generally is to say, your opinion is useless, it's pointless. Put it to one side. I'll have an opinion when I've had a chance to reflect on something and think about it. So I think opinions, I, I have this list that I work with, the eight principles of presence, uh, which are eight ways of thinking that help you become more present. 
And one of the eight principles of presence is have no opinion. While you're just being with someone, don't have an opinion. Be with them. I've got nothing to prove. You'll either agree with me or not agree with me. If you disagree with me, we can do so in ways that we both learn from. Maybe your disagreement's valid and it's going to teach me something. Or maybe you and I are just different people, in which case I wish you well, you wish me well, and we coexist in the world. My opinion, I'm not sure what it achieves, apart from I make a load of noise which could have been filled with rather beautiful silence. In fact, uh, while you were speaking, I was, I was imagining a world if all of us had this uh, loose sense of being with ourselves and very strongly attached to this idea of who we are. And as a humankind, I was, I was actually imagining when, uh, when this journey from being apes to humans might have happened. And the initial growth must have been that you have an idea, I have an idea, let's combine the idea because our survival depends on it. Mm. It was no, not discussions on whether you were right or I was right because life proved us right on every day. Yeah. And let me let me just interrupt there a moment because that's it's brilliant. But of course, one of the definitions of creativity, when people try to define what creativity is, one of the definitions is when ideas from one area come together with ideas from another area to make something new. So this thing that you're saying about fundamental to you know evolution was our ability to move from isolated creatures like you know slugs or butterflies are isolated creatures we are social creatures because your ideas and my ideas can combine to make new ideas now the yep. artist the job of the artist is to put creativity into concrete action yes i would say the role of the artist is the fundamental role of humanity your ideas meet my <laughs> ideas and in that creative fusion we make something that has not been made before i'm using artist in the broadest possible terms yes yes but that's what the artist does the singer and the instrumentalist both have their skills together they make something which is bigger than the sum of their parts i mean i've be i've an extraordinary experience years ago, and I'm talking it out of Indian culture just because you know I'm talking to you and you're evoking these ideas. But I was went to a raga concert in Bangalore when I was working down there, and the traditional, presumably North Indian classical music. I'm guessing uh, maybe South Indian. I don't know. Uh, beautiful, beautiful. I, that music is so beautiful. But there was a, a moment where the tabla player sat there, not playing, but just with his hands ready. And the flute player began to play a dawn raga, which was quite from, honestly unlike anything I've ever heard played on a flute before. The quality of sound was amazing. And he played for about 10 minutes and the tabla player didn't join in. 
it actually just remained flute the whole time, but the tabla player's hands were like this with the drum. This is what I remember now. I don't know if this is true, but this one. Yeah. <clears throat> Even there, where what we saw was one person doing something as an individual, the presence of the tabla player changed what it was. It created expectation. It created possibility. It also made me at the end realize that the tabla wasn't necessary. The whole meaning of the music had it added another dimension by the interconnection between two possible ideas, the idea of the flute, the idea of the tabla. Everything we do emerges from that interconnection. And that's the role of the artist. Uh, okay, I want to throw a small spanner in your work. Oh, side. please, I love spanners. <laughs> uh, how do you define negative connections in that space? Uh, I will, I'll give you a little bit of a uh, context. So in, in the uh, epics uh, that India chooses to talk about very often, Mahabharata, the, the Ramayana, uh, very often when the the antagonist is about to uh, leave his form and die, he becomes one with the divine force that has ensured that he's leaving the earth. And as a kid, this fascinated me no end. Like the person with the best uh, karmas was supposed to be the guy who was the most negative. Mm. Because he kept thinking of the Lord all the time was told to us. Like, even if he was thinking negatively, he was only thinking of the Lord. So he had no interest in money, in women, in drinking, eating, all those things. He had only interest in the Lord and defying him. This is very loosely put. Obviously, there are scholars who can uh, explain this better. But mm -hmm. as a kid, this is what I took home. So my question comes from this. Now, when you said that the tabla and these guys were supposed to do a jugal vandi, and this guy stopped and there was this sense of presence and it helped the other person perform to his optimum or maybe even more because of this sense of presence. My question is, I often find, not always related to work, when I am when I'm able to be quiet in a discussion or in a huge debate, when I become quiet after the first few seconds of still rambling inside that this is what I want to say. I just let it cool down. Then I find I grow. Mm. And there is this sense of, oh, I see this topic a lot more better. I may not admit it because of my ego. It is possible. But I understand. And I know that something is palpably alive in terms of knowledge at that point. I want you to answer this question when there are two negative energies in a space where they are connected. How do you think this works? Uh, what is your take on this? I would question what you mean by negative energies. <laughs> okay, by negative energy, <clears throat> superficially we are both fighting. Mm -hmm. I'm, I mean superficially because on the surface I think I'm against whatever your point of view is at that point of time. Or it's okay, let's just take this example of the tabla and the flute. Suppose they were internally competing. In their inner spaces, they wanted to have come out looking the better artist. Mm. In that sense, is this still true? 
does the connection sometimes still work and bring out something? If they were competing, they wouldn't have been connected. The connection came from the openness to each other. Now, if so, t t t so they they might have been connected in my eye as the audience, but they would have been connected by their division, not by their unity. The tabla player yeah. there was not <clears throat> playing, but was absolutely part of the performance. There, you know. And he could have played at any moment, but there was a choice not to. It was a proactive, collaborative choice that his contribution would be silence. Had there been competition at a very deep level, we would have known it because we read people. We are a social species. We can see. We can see when people are not present with us. We can see when people are saying one thing while thinking another thing or saying one thing while their body is thinking another thing so now if you and i started having an argument you were saying this and i was saying that good bad uh, 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 if we were doing all of this and neither of us was able or willing to step away from the binary of right and wrong and good and bad then we would simply have a shouting match. And then we would both go away either thinking that you won or I won or that we hated each other. But if either of us can say, hold on, first of all, as you say, completely quieten, quieten the mind, come present, listen, let me, instead of jumping to conclusions about what you're saying, put my opinions to one side and actually listen to you and move away from thinking right or wrong and instead ask myself and perhaps ask you, why do you think that? Why, why that? You say, you know, the only way is belief in this God. And I go, okay, why do you think that? Why? Why? Why do you think that I, with my beliefs, I'm wrong? The, the word that I use a lot in my thinking is curiosity. It's about curiosity. I mean, I, I, I think my memory of the tabla player there is that he was full of, you know, first of all, just an awareness that there was nothing he needed to do. Uh, but secondly, curiosity waiting there going, is there going to be a moment that asks me to do something? And the answer was, no, that's okay. What matters is that he was curious. So if you and I are having the argument, and let's say we, we start off and move to what you're calling negative energies, I would want to say, that's not a negative energy. I'm experiencing it as hostile, but you're not, and you're experiencing me as hostile. So why? What am I saying that makes you feel that you want to respond with hostility? What are you saying that makes me want to respond to hostility? Now, it may be that you're so set in your ways and I'm so set in my ways that we're just never going to agree with each other. Fine. Go your way. I'll go my way. And I will choose 
to the best of my ability, and I fail at this like everyone else, but I will choose to respect you and to speak of you with honour because that's my value. That's how I, those are my values. And I fail at them. Like we all fail. We all mess up. You know, when I mess up, I will then try to move myself along the spectrum closer to my values. But the one thing that doesn't make any, do any good at all in there is for me to hold on to my confrontational or opinion-based this is who I am and I will not change. Why am I talking to you if you don't change me? I want you to change me. Already talking to you, just hearing your insights makes me go, oh, that reminds me of this and that's interesting. You're changing me as we speak. Yeah. Uh, there's one space I want to talk about. You, you mentioned that we are human beings. We sense what the other person is doing or thinking, or their mind and body is not aligned uh, with what is being said, perhaps. Um, similarly, if one were to be quiet enough, one is able to see that within oneself as well. Yeah. In, the, in the middle of a conversation, I mean. When you're quiet, it is possible. But sometimes while talking also, it is possible that you've just paused and some... Uh, wisdom has fallen in place on its own. Mm. Do you want to talk a little about that space? Because I am finding this thread is running through the conversation, although our topic is changing. Uh, from the point of an artist being the most quote-unquote human in a way, or else my uh, joke of, oh, making you the president of the United Nations, which effectively is United Nations is supposed to be United Nations. They, mm. All of us come together and uh, celebrate humanity in whatever way possible, mm. which it may may not be doing is a different thing because of the political angles of it. But if essentially it was set to do that. Mm. And, and I find this is a very big deal that mostly most human beings and most human organizations always have the right values when they start. It's rarely that they start on a, okay, I am going to go against you and so we shall start this. It doesn't happen. Somewhere we seem to lose our way. So I wanted to talk a little about how this space is being created through whatever work you're doing, uh, if possible. And what are what are the challenges that you face within yourself? Yeah, again, and I'm really, I love the way that you are making a journey from the biggest possible level, which is how humanity lives together, through to the most internal of flickers of awareness, because that yeah. is, it is a journey and it, it, they are connected. Yes. So there, the heart of my answer to that, which is a practical answer, which grows out of the training of performers, the heart of my answer to that is the ability to pay attention in the present moment to what is happening in your body. It is moment by moment, physical 
attention, noticing where the tensions are in your body, noticing the shifts of energy in your body. Now, why, why does that matter? Be because the tensions in your body are not accidental tensions. They are created by unconscious thinking. If my shoulders are like this, it's not that gravity stopped working in Ireland. It's because I am thinking tense the shoulders. You know, if I'm going, yep, I'm thinking these movements. If when you are speaking, I'm going, I'm doing that. My brain is doing that. It's not an accident. My brain is doing that. It might not be conscious thoughts, but if I watch my body, if I observe my body, I can see how my unconscious is pulling me away from being present. Now, if I am not present with you, I cannot hear you. I might hear your words, but your words are a small part of what you're saying to me. And an actor has to know this, don't they? That actor has to know, are you holding tension in your body? When you're saying you're really relaxed, are you actually walking around stage like this? You know, <laughs> this is fundamental training for an actor or a dancer, the observation and monitoring of their psychophysical state. Psychophysical is the word that means the integrated holistic relationship of thinking and body, mind and body. So not saying, thinking here, body here. The body affects the thinking, the thinking affects the body. We monitor our uh, system so that we can ensure that we are present. Now, when we translate this to the bigger sphere, running a meeting or teaching a class or being a community activist or being president of the United Nations, whatever it might be, when we start moving it to a bigger state, I have a belief system, and this is now my belief system, but it is based on, you know, however many decades I've had of interacting with the world and of observing myself. And the belief system is that we are naturally, by evolution, we are naturally collaborative creatures we are social creatures we're always a little suspicious of each other but our desire is always to reach agreement to reach collaboration to reach a way of doing things together some people spiritually might say we are naturally good i don't quite use that word good because it's a good bad thing that i don't like but i would say we yeah. have a natural generosity a natural connectedness I would also say we are naturally present. Presence, my definition of presence is presence is what you are when you're not distracted. But the world distracts us continually. All these distractions are thoughts distracting us. When you quieten all that, you become present, which is your natural state. And I can almost prove that because if there was a loud noise now, you would be super present. You'd go, what was that? You know, when the distractions go, we find we are present. I would say that when you become as present as you can, you become as naturally good and as naturally connected as you can be. So, you know, two politicians who are, you know, having a shouting match at each other, it would do them one hell of a lot of good 
to spend a little bit of time, even just a quarter of a second between words to check in with their body and go, just relax, smile. Don't believe your opinions. Assume that the other person is actually doing the best they can, being as good as they can. Let's make that assumption. And then you don't give away all your, you know, you don't just give in to other people's demands, but you work from a place of trust, belief, kindness, compassion, presence, goodness. And the way to find that place is in your body in this moment. Now, that's a lifelong discipline. You know, and it's a discipline that's at the heart of, you know, I don't know whether you're a yogi, but it's at the heart of yoga, it's the heart of the Chinese Tai Chi system, it's the heart of meditation processes and so on. You know, it's it's coming into the sense of yourself, which is a unified, connected presence that lives in relationship to all living things, and indeed all non-living things, lives in relationship to ideas and books and concepts and trees and rocks and all of this stuff. I have questions, but your answer is so soothing, I just want to take it in for a minute. <laughs> okay, uh, firstly, uh, to that longish answer, one of the things that touched me was that uh, whatever uh, bit of meditation that I do and one is trying to reconcile it with the practicality of living every day. But today, the way you have uh, connected it is is so profoundly simple that it is it's really beautiful to hear these words. And uh, my question again comes from there. Uh, thanks to the curiosity bit. <laughs> mm. uh, most people uh, may think this is a little bit of gobbledygook that I'm putting up, but so are we the universe in human form, literally? Uh, if one were to be letting go, again, my term, uh, in the sense of that you've been mentioning that one is one is aware. Now, awareness is not holding anything. Mm. Awareness is just observing or watching what is happening to my body at this point of time or uh, what is happening in my mind at this point of time. Is there a conflict anywhere? Is there a, is there a sense of unease? Now, when I, when I pursue these, very often I don't find... Uh, I find there is a flow. There's a flow and some people may want to call it God or whatever their leanings are. I have no name, but I have a sense of ease and sense of flowing through life. And my mind and body is at ease. But now this is the curious bit. How do you... Because this is a journey and this is not an easy journey. It is very nice to speak about it and uh, wonderful to read about it and listen to monks speaking about it or even you speak about it in such beautiful ways. When it comes to adapting it and living it, how does one make the jump? Because there are tendencies that one is used to. The ego doesn't fly overnight. Mm. Uh, I will I'll listen to you and in five minutes after this talk is over, 
I'll go down and somebody will say something and I'll be upset and I'll say something immediately. <laughs> and there goes all the wisdom that I supposedly gained from the podcast. Yeah. How do you as a person deal with uh, these kind of issues? How do you come back to the moment? How do you come back to your body, to your mind? What is it that is your secret, if I would call it that? You say you'll get annoyed in you know five minutes. You know, you're human. It's simple. We're human. If we criticize ourselves for our failings, we are criticizing ourselves for being human. It's like complaining that a tree moves in the wind. It's what trees do. <laughs> so another of these eight principles of presence is right here, right now, you are good enough. Now, that sounds like a sort of two-dimensional Facebook meme that goes, hey, everything's cool, you don't have to do anything. It's not that at all. Right here, right now, you are good enough to take your next step. If you go downstairs and somebody says something and you get bad tempered in that moment, you are good enough to go. I have the skills and resources to step back from this and choose not to do it. If you do something and it really messes up. Or you're really frightened of doing it, you are good enough. To say, OK, what steps do I need to take to enable me to do this thing? What the principle is actually of saying is all growth comes from self-acceptance. You must at some level be accepting yourself at some level before you can undertake any process of growth, because you have to believe that you are capable of that growth. The deeper your self-acceptance, the greater your rate of growth, not complacency not arrogance, acceptance of your essential humanity. And while we're at it, acceptance of everyone else's essential humanity, including the person who annoyed you. Yeah. The So what is the discipline or the practice or the secret? There, there are no secrets. There is only practice. Presence isn't something you have to go looking for. It's there right now. It's where we live. It's the only place yeah. we know. The only thing is the discipline of going, oh, yeah, come back to presence. Do you know how long it takes to check in with your body? Half a second. I've yeah. just done it. I've just done it now. Just as you were saying yes, I just went tiny little scan through, went, yeah, okay. That's all it takes. Do you know how long it takes to ditch a stress and choose to smile instead? It takes half a second just to go, yeah, okay. I'm feeling a little stressed. No, just smile. Yeah. Make the link with somebody. Give yourself the moment of pause. Relax the shoulders. Ask the question. There's no, there's, there's no secret. What there is is practice and discipline. And that's the same as every other area of life, playing a musical instrument, being a dancer, kicking a football, hitting a cricket ball, being yes. a good father, whatever. You, you mess up and you mess up and you mess up and gradually you mess up better. 
That's really all that we've got. I can, uh, Samuel Beckett, the great Irish writer, you know, says, defines life as try, fail, try again, fail better. Yeah, it's beautiful. It, you're going to go downstairs, yeah. get annoyed with someone. You failed to be all zen and mindful and so on. It's all right. Observe, smile, relax, forgive, do it again. And you say it's simple what I'm saying. Yeah, it is. Because we're dealing with something really simple. Not easy to do, but we are dealing with something really simple, which is this. Be here now, being who you are. And if you want a short version of that, it's get real. Just be real. No, no images of yourself, no ideas of who you should be. No, no, be real and grow from this reality to help shape your next reality. Not control, you don't get to control, you shape your reality. But you do it by being in this reality. And this is wonderful. Um, before I end this, uh, I don't even have an adjective for this chat, but uh, one of the questions I imagined I would ask you when I was setting up was, uh, because you are a performer and you've been aiding other people perform, where does reality stand in this whole scenario? And without me asking the question, <laughs> I think this is what we are ending on. You've been describing reality uh, in terms of how we are going to be accepting of the present moment in quote-unquote practical terms. Uh, what a wonderful... Performing is totally practical, isn't it? I mean, if you're playing a character in front of a camera, you are doing real things, which the camera watches you do. You're saying real words, doing real patterns of breathing, using your body in a real way. If you're writing, you're a writer, you are really sitting there writing real words on a real computer screen. Making art is not some concept. Esoteric. It, it, making art is an entirely practical activity. So is life. We can have all the ideas we want, but life is a practical endeavour. Thank you so much. I... I've run out of words to uh, tell you how I feel about this chat that we've had. And uh, I hope to stay in touch. It's, a, it's been a wonderful, wonderful session. That, it's been an absolute honor to talk with you, a real joy to talk with you as well. Uh, we, should do, we should do another one where I ask you questions because uh, I suspect... We, I, you know, you were asking me, so I was going off on my thing. But uh, there are <laughs> enormous journeys in your own life, which I suspect are vastly interesting. That it would be very exciting to explore. It would day. be a pleasure for me. It would be a pleasure. Let me know. I'll try and we'll fix a time. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Thank you. Thank you.